What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. Hey, I thought we would do a Soccer Explains the World episode here as we start the World Cup. Um, it's, I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon, November the 20th. Cutter just lost 2 nothing to Ecuador. Uh, and also, you can't buy beer anywhere in or around these soccer stadiums. So, sounds like kind of a crappy setup. But uh, I just finished five games of coaching of a U10 all-star team. And I have four business lessons that came out of it. So once again, soccer explains the world. And here we go. Welcome to Time Freedom for Lawyers, where the goal is to become less busy, make more money, and spend more time doing what you want instead of what you have to. Bringing together guests from all walks of life who are living a life of their own design and sharing actionable tips for how you too can live the life of your dreams. Now, here's your host, Brian Glass. So here's the setup. So I coached this weekend five games in two days uh, of a U10 boys soccer all-star team. It's a house league all-star team, and it's a pre-Thanksgiving tournament. So uh, they brought 18 teams together. I think there's about probably 10 or 12 leagues represented, most of them sending a couple of teams. And we played a four 25-minute games on Saturday, and then Sunday is just kind of play until you lose. Um, they split us into into an upper middle and a lower tier uh, after Saturday's games. We were in the middle tier, and we lost in the semifinals, which makes us, I don't know, like the 8th or the ninth or the 10th best team that entered this tournament. Um None of that really matters for what we're going to talk about here. Um, the the first business rule that occurred to me on Saturday night is that it really doesn't matter what the rules are. What really matters in business is that you know what the rules are. So let me explain. So we have this kind of arcane rule in 10-year-old soccer called the build-out line. So about 25% of the way down the field, there's a line on the field that we call the build-out line. So on a goal kick or anytime the goalie picks up the ball, the attacking team has to retreat behind the build-out line so that the goalie can pass the ball in and so that we're not just standing in front of the goalie and cramming the ball right back down his throat. Like, pretty good rule at this age, especially when you have a disparity between um, the really good players and the players that are not so good at the house level. There's also no punting. And so... Um, cause we don't want kids heading the ball at this age. There's no punting. So the goalie doesn't even really have the opportunity to kick the ball over anybody's head. So the, the idea is that we back everybody up about 25 yards so that the other team can play the ball out. And so all year long, we've been playing with this rule. And the first game that we're playing, this referee starts blowing his whistle because the goalie has kicked the ball past the 25 yard line without anybody else touching it. And I'm like, I don't think that's the rule. And I said to the other coach, um, that's not the rule. And, and he agreed with me. And we said to the referee, like, bro, I don't, I don't think this is how it works. He goes, uh, 100% certainty, that's how it works. And so the other coach is getting upset because his team has now been called on it twice. And I'm like, whatever, this is the rule that we're going to play this game by. Fine, we'll fix it later. And so the other coach kind of went out of her way to email the tournament director. She told me the next morning she went all the way up the chain and went all the way back down the chain. And she was right about the interpretation of the rule. And I'm like, well, who gives a shit about the interpretation of the rule and who was right? 
I'm not trying to be right. I'm trying to win. And so if this is the rule that that guy is going to impose in this game, I'm going to talk to my players at halftime and we're going to make sure that we are abiding by this rule. And then we've crafted a strategy that works on this rule with our team. And so the translation to business, um, really, I think about this like in the world of politics, like I don't really care what the tax code is, fair, unfair, whatever. Like I don't have any input on that, direct input on what's going to change and what's not going to change. What I do have direct input on is making sure that I understand the rules and making sure that my tax structure and my business is set up in such a way that maximizes the benefit for somebody that's taken the time to learn and understand the rules. So just a, uh, a tip about folk where you're focusing your effort. So I don't focus any effort on trying to change any rules at all, trying to explain anything or trying to be right. I focus all my effort on within the framework of rules. How do I maximize what this means for me and my family and my business? So that's, that was takeaway. Number one, doesn't really matter what the rules are. What matters is whether you know them, understand them and craft a strategy to maximize uh, their impact for you. Takeaway number two is about the importance of getting the right person in the right seat. And so, you know, this could be either a hiring decision or um, if you're getting ready to go to a soccer tournament, it's a selection decision. So let me talk a little bit about how we selected the kids who played on this team. So our league has, I think, eight or 10 teams and each team's coach selected two or three players to go uh, to the all-star practice and have kind of be pre-selected for these are the kids who I think after watching them all season belong on the team. And then at the all-star scrimmage, anybody from the league can show up. And if you show out, then you might get picked up and be on a team. As you know, it turns out really that we end up taking 95% of the time we take the coach's recommendations because we know that the coach is going to give us somebody who's not only a good player, but who's not a pain in the ass. Somebody that listens to you and is coachable and that really at nine and 10 years old, that's really all I'm looking for. And it's really the same thing with employees. I'm looking for somebody who listens and is coachable and is willing to learn. And so after we've got the right person, then we think about what seat do they go in? So I didn't pay any attention when coaches were sending me, um, their lineups and their suggestions about like, let me make sure we have one goalie. Let me make sure we have three defenders. Let me make sure we have a midfielder and let me make sure we have some attackers. Like just give me the best uh, 14, 15 kids. And then when we get into practices, let me see their skill set and let me place them where they need to go. So, you know, I've got this kid who he can score some goals, but he just for whatever reason, he refuses or isn't, is incapable of playing a position. So like, where can I put him? He's one of the bigger kids out there. Um, I'm not going to put him in center defense because that's an important position, but if I put him on left or right and he kind of freelances and does whatever he wants, that's okay. I don't mind that so much, but the, the takeaway here is, is taking the, uh, at the beginning, like who are the best players and who has the best attitude and then where do we put them on our bus? Right people first, right seats second. And just as an aside, if you happen to be coaching nine or 10 year old soccer, I think the most important position to get somebody who's good at is goalie. Like we had a goalie that shut out three teams over the course of the weekend. He really kept us in a couple of games uh, and he made up for a bunch of mistakes that our defense made. 
I've had teams where I don't have anybody who is very good at goalie and it can be really hard. Uh, that's a really hard position to teach at this age. So if you happen to be coaching youth soccer, <laughs> uh, find yourself a goalie early on. All right. Number three, point number three is, is something that I noticed in a game that we were losing, I think two nothing, which is that when we feel out of control, we look for external things to blame. And we feel out of control when we don't have an impact on what's going to happen next. So this kind of manifests on a soccer field as uh, soccer parents screaming about offsides or screaming about that ball went out of bounds. Or uh, it occurred to me Saturday night as, as we're playing this game and I have a parent kind of in my ear complaining that the coach is stepping onto the field. The other coach is stepping two, three, four feet onto the field to give instruction to his team. And I'm like dude, that's not why we're down to nothing. Like I'm not going to tell a referee that this guy is infringing on the field. And I think his words were he's trying to be another player. I'm like who, who cares? The ball's on the other end of the field. He's a couple of, of feet onto the pitch, like no big deal. But the stress level for this parent was I want to complain about something because we might maybe be able to control that. Maybe I can get the referee to pay attention and maybe that swing something. I, I don't know. The, the, analog that stuck out to me from years ago. And I've told this story a couple of times. <laughs> I'm coaching a machine pitch baseball team and we're losing like 15, nothing. And it's the fourth inning. And, uh, and I have a grandparent, we're in the field. I have a grandparent who wanders onto the field to, um, to give me the advice that the other team is taking lead offs, um, and leaving the base before they're supposed to. So in this league, you're supposed to wait until the bat makes contact with the ball before you leave the base. And he's complaining, no, the other team is leaving, you know, a beat or two early. And I looked at him and I said, you know, that's not why we're now 15, nothing, right? You know, you know, it's cause we can't hit. Um, and so if I go and complain about these guys leaving early, like they're going to look at us like I'm, I'm crazy. And by the way, Hey, we practice on Tuesday nights. If you want to come and, and help and you don't want to just complain about the other team and what they're doing. Um, so where I see this manifesting in my law practice usually is with clients. Uh, it's clients who don't feel like they have a great sense of control over what's going on in their case. And then they want to complain about little, really little ticky tack things that the insurance company has, has done. Like, I don't know, maybe it, it went a couple of days past the demand letter deadline that we sent to the insurance company and the client is calling, okay, what, are, what do we do next? And so, you know, our job as professionals is to put the client back in control or at least communicate to them that we are in control of the situation and that none of these little details really have any impact on their case one way or the other. And all of this, you know, when we feel out of control, we look for external things to blame comes back to stoic philosophy. It's like you want to be able to control what you can control and not worry about the rest of it. And really it, it ties in very well with the first point. It doesn't matter what the rules are. What matters is how you react to the rules. And so the point that I try to make to anybody who's complaining about little ticky tack things that really aren't part of the problem is, Hey, what can we do to actually solve the problem and move the ball forward? You know, it's, it's not going to do us any good to complain about the guy wandering onto the field. How can we work on getting the ball back and putting it in the back of their net? All right. Point number four, there probably is some technology out there that costs some money that will create a whole lot more time for you if you just spend the money and purchase it. So this whole tournament seems to have been managed by one guy with pen and paper 
probably from the comfort, hopefully from the comfort of his home. Um, but we were out at a remote site. There were 18 teams on our site and there were some site coordinators there who were recording all of the scores of all of the games. Um, but there was no like app or website that this stuff was being uploaded to. They were recording it all on a big piece of poster board. And I asked them at the end of the day, now, are you going to total this up and create the ranking of teams for Sunday? They said, no, we're going to take a, a picture of it and we're going to send it to the guy who's going to do that. The problem is that the guy who is going to do that is doing that for like 12 different age brackets uh, and for boys and girls. So he's creating 24 different um, rankings of teams on Saturday night after the games finish at seven or eight o'clock for what is going to be the schedule on Sunday morning. And so as a result, I was getting emails until two in the morning about schedule changes. Um, at midnight, he sent out this email that said, if you're in the U19 girls, we need to have a penalty kick shootout. Uh, at 7.30 in the morning to determine who's ranked number four and who's ranked number five. Um, I can't imagine getting that email and realizing that in seven hours, I need to have my team out somewhere to have a PK shootout. So I started looking and I said, I mean, there must be some kind of um, software that does this, right? This isn't the only tournament, youth tournament in America. And certainly there is, uh, of course, there is plenty of software out there that will let you input the number of teams, let you input the results, and it'll tell you who plays when in the next games. And I don't understand why this tournament doesn't have it. Cost about $600 for a team to register for this tournament. And there were 18 teams in our gender age bracket alone. So that's like 11,000 bucks um, times probably 24 brackets. So let's call that like a quarter million dollars. You guys can spend a few grand on the uh, app and on the software so that the guy doesn't have to spend six hours at night and send emails until two in the morning telling people where they need to be at 7.30 the next morning. Tim Ferriss makes this point. Tim Ferriss has has this blog out there about where are you still using single ply in your life? Where are you still doing the thing that's costing you all kinds of time and aggravation where if you just went out and spent a little bit of money, you could either automate it or make your life better or easier. And so thinking about in your law firm, where are the pain points where, you know, it is not worth your effective hourly rate to be working on this stuff? Maybe it's like scanning medical records or copying, um, copying correspondence that comes in, saving it to the file, putting together discovery binders, putting together trial notebooks. Um, that's all like the practice related stuff. But then things like, you know, correlating your mailing lists for, um, for mailers that you have going out, right? The marketing stuff. Like, how can we outsource that stuff to make our lives a little bit easier, give ourselves a little bit more time and help us focus on our most dollar productive activities? All this stuff is worth thinking about. And when you're into it, you're going to start seeing it everywhere. You're going to see it at work. You're going to see it at the grocery store. You're going to see it at your kids' soccer tournaments. Thanksgiving is coming up later this week, and I'm thankful for you for listening. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing if you've subscribed. Um, and what you could really do to help me is share this with a friend. If you think it would be helpful to anybody else's life, if you think it's entertaining in one shape, way, shape, or form, and you can share it, that would be uh, great, and I would really appreciate it. Hey, guys, if this kind of stuff resonates with you and you want to hear more from me and my friends, please subscribe 
be also really helpful if you would leave us a rating and a review wherever you're listening to podcasts. Thanks a lot. I'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving, and I'll catch you on the flip side.